Well, good morning, church. Appreciate you being here uh, so much uh, today. Uh, we're finishing our sermon series this morning. It's been about nine weeks, maybe, that we've been on this, talking about that it's all in our head. And we're talking spiritually, of course, but all of you that have lived any amount of time know that life is pretty much in your head. I mean, um, whether you're running a business or, or whatever, uh, it's, it's pretty much between your ears. It's the way you think about things. I was reading this week somewhere, and there was some football, professional football player that says, um, the longest football field is the five inches that's between my ears meaning that, that fo the fo his sport is all in his head. And if he's got to get his head right first, the longest field is that five inches that's between his head. And we all, we all know that. And no matter what uh, endeavor that we go into, the biggest battle that we fight is the battle that's between our ears. And we've talked about in that in so many different ways in this series, that it's all in our head, it's all in my head, it's all in your head. And Paul says in Romans 12, 2, and that's been our tagline, for the whole series, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're not transformed by being baptized, oh, that's a good thing. We're not transformed by, by helping and going to, if you're an adult, by going to NYC, that's, although that's a good thing. God could use that. We're transformed as our mind changes. We're transformed as, as we go through the process of taking out the stinking thinking and uh, turn into godly thinking. I've been a Christian now for 29 uh, years. I guess in August of this year, it'll be, 20, it'll be 30, 30 years. And um, the way I think now compared to the way I think thought then is miles apart. And all of you could be able to give the same testimony if you've been a Christian any time. And so if, you've been, if you're a new Christian, you're on the process of that, and you can see change in the way you're thinking, but five years and 10 years and 15 down your, years down the road, you'll scratch your head and say, how could I have ever thought that? And that's the process of the Christian life. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So it's all in our head. Now, uh, as I finish, uh, I, I want you to know that... Um, uh, how we go about our Christian life, whether it's the, the start of our Christian life or living our Christian life, that's, 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 that's in our mind as well. The Bible says that we're called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we have to bring our mind to this faith. And this doesn't mean you have to be a genius. And this doesn't mean you have to be an Einstein. This doesn't mean you have to be a master, have a master of divinity degree. But you've got to understand some things mentally. You cannot understand the plan of salvation until you come to grips with some things mentally. You, you've got to come to, to, to grips with truth. And when we're talking about truth, we're talking about things that you have to understand. And I want to talk about two great assumptions that people have today about, particularly about the process of salvation and how one becomes a Christian, how one goes to heaven, so forth and so on, because that is, that is, has a lot to do with the way that you think. And we've all heard some really bad theology out there. We've all heard some theology that people have just either misunderstood the preacher said, maybe the preacher gave them wrong theology, or they've just invented their own theology. But we've all heard some really bad ways that people think about the Christian life. And I want to take 30 minutes this morning to be able to describe, and I do it, I, hopefully I do it in a little bits and pieces every Sunday, but I just want to take 
30 minutes to describe to you how you need to think about this process of salvation. Now, there are two great assumptions that we have that are certainly outside the church of Jesus Christ, but are also inside the church. And what prompted this message this week is a person that is a, I wouldn't call them a regular attender, but uh, over the course of the last 10 years, they've probably been to this church 100 and 125 times. They're, they're not here every Sunday. Sometimes it may be a month before they go. But they've heard me preach a lot, okay? And, um, and this person said something about the Christian life that was totally incorrect. And I scratched my head and said, how could this person hear me preach for 10 plus years, albeit not every Sunday, and still have that type of theology. And, and so I sat down with a staff meeting this week with, with the staff, and, and one of the things I said to them is, is let's just not take for granted and assume that our people understand this. And I think one of the great problems that we have as leaders, whether it be a pastor or whether it be a boss, is sometimes we assume that people have heard us. And sometimes we assume that people got it just because I said it, okay? And that is not always the, and you know that if you're a boss, you know that if you're any kind of a leader. We can't make assumptions. And there are two big assumptions that I think are made by people outside the church and unfortunately by people inside the church as well. And here, here are those two assumptions. The first one is good people go to heaven. I hear it over and over and over again. Good people go to heaven. I don't bother. It doesn't bother me when I hear that in the world. It bothers me when I hear it in the church. Because you haven't heard what I've been preaching. Or you've misunderstood it. I wonder how many of us preacher types would be thoroughly discouraged if we gave all of our parishioners a fill-in-the-blank type of test. There's a lot of people outside the church. There's even people inside the church that are good people theologians. The first person I ever led to the Lord, this would have been someone outside the church. She sporadically attended. And I asked her the old evangelism explosion question. D. James Kennedy's organization says the first question you ask them is, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven? And she said yes. But you can't, you can't just say, well, congratulations. you got to follow that up. Why? Why are you going to heaven? And this person responded is, well, I try to live a good life. Or words close to that. Which told me they had no understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it wrong to try to live a good life? That's not what, that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> but if you're trying, if your plan of salvation is that, if your, your road to heaven is that you're somehow going to be good enough, you're on the wrong road, friends. That road doesn't lead there. And I just wonder, and it's a marvelous question to ask your kids, Why are you going to heaven? You know, just asking that simple question, why, to a lot of 
uh, when p- people say some things and just make they'll, they'll just make a statement, any kind of statement, and you just say, "Well, why do you believe it?" That throws a lot of people for a loop. You know why? They don't know why they believe with that. Somebody has said that. They heard somebody say it. And so you're not being a smart like by saying that. You're helping them. There's a great assumption. Good people go to heaven. There's another assumption that's in the church and outside the church. You know what that is? I'm a good person. <laughs> so I'm going to heaven. I, I've, I've never met anybody. I've never met anybody that is a good person theologian that doesn't think they're good enough. I've never met a single person that said something like, well, I'm, you know, they may not think they're, you know, I've heard this a lot. Well, I, you know, I'm not as good, you know, I'm I'm not as good as some, but I'm better than a lot. I'm not as good as some, but I'm better than I used to be. Everybody to some degree, if they're a good person theologian, thinks they're a good person, so they're on the road to heaven. I've, I've never heard anybody that espouses good person theology think that they're a bad person. So that's a really cool thing about the good person theology. Hey, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> that's a good thing. Now, I, I don't think any of us, there's not a single one of us in here that, that, you know, let's just be honest. None of us would consider ourselves bad people. But I'm talking spiritually. Spiritually, what does that mean? The only proper answer is when someone asks me if I'm a good person, the only proper answer to that is what do you mean by good? What do you mean by good? And they probably won't know what they mean by good to, to begin with. So two big assumptions. It's out there in the world, friends. It's, it's out there totally in the world, and unfortunately it's in the church. Fortunately it's in the church. I preach a lot of funerals. Harold's preached a lot of funerals. There's a whole lot of people going to heaven, friends, that Never showed too much Christianity in their life. They were, they were good people. You know, what, you know what we mean by that? They paid their bills. They, um, they, they did their best in raising their children. They provided for their kids. They generally told the truth. You know a lot of good people. You know a lot of good people that aren't Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to tell the truth. <laughs> you don't have to be a Christian to be a good person. There's a lot of good people. And where you see good people theology show up a lot is at funerals. Now, hopefully it's not from the preacher, but it's just the vibe that's in the room when you talk to families especially. There are some advantages to good people theology there's some real advantages to that number one it's fair and we like things that are fair it's fair you know good people should go to heaven i mean that's that that seems fair to me you know we we like things that are fair we 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 may not always treat people fairly but we certainly want to be treated fair we like things that are fair it seems to be good that things are fair and good people going to heaven has an air a vibe of fairness to it and so that's some theology and maybe some reason why some people think that good people go to heaven another advantage of good people go to heaven i've kind of already said you know i make the cut on that because i'm a good person especially when i compare myself to you right that's what we do we compare ourselves to one another that's that's basically the only only way we know we're good isn't it because we compare ourselves to other people 
I mean, and that is about as that is about as poor theology as you could possibly have. Another thing about another advantage of the good person theology is that it's kind of logical because almost everybody will believe that God is good, and if God is good, He inhabits heaven. Then it seems like to me like good people ought to be there. You know, He won't let bad people go there because He's good, and heaven is a good place and it's full of goodness. And so it's kind of logical that good people go to heaven, but bad people don't go because they'd mess it up. Okay, so it's kind of it's kind of logical. And there's there, there's one other thing. There's advantage to the good people go to heaven. Some people say some irreligious irreligious people say this is this is why religion exists anyways because it keeps people in line <laughs> you know if, if if they feel good people go to heaven then it keep, then it, there's motivation for people to be good so it, it keeps people in line so let's just be honest if you're thinking especially in a secular way because in a secular way because you, you can't think you it's just like what i said a couple of weeks ago when you're trying to define love you can't bring the human de- definition of love and put it on God when you say God is love because that messes God up totally because that gives him a human attribute which is blasphemy okay and so you can't define God's love for the world to the way we would define our love one for the other and it's the same thing here because because we would say uh, the world knows that that good people get ends up doing well in life because you, you get what you deserve in life you you, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps in life, and if you work hard in life, then it's going to pay off at the end. And so that secular thinking, which is probably correct in the secular life, gets transported then into the spiritual life, but it's not true spiritually. That somehow you get what you have coming, and somehow that, that you, you, you uh, only get what you deserve in this life, and so forth and so on. There's some real problems with good people theology. You probably already thought of one, and here's one that nobody can ever answer for me. Well, how good do you have to be? Come on, you good people theologians. How good do you have to be? Where is it written? Where is the list? Where is the checklist that you look at where you determine if you're being good enough. Where, where is that? Is it in the Bible? Is it outside the Bible? And somebody may say the Ten Commandments. Well, man, there, there's Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and, and also in Deuteronomy, but there's a whole bunch of other commandments in, in the Old Testament as well. Where's the list, friends? How good do you have to be? How would you ever have assurance that you're going to heaven if you're a good person theologian? How would you ever know you've checked enough boxes? Is it that, is it that I've checked, you know, I've done more deeds, good deeds, and I've done bad deeds, and somehow God's going to get there and there's going to be some kind of scale? And How in the world do you ever know what good is? Where is the list of good things that I have to do? What percentage of good things do I have to do? Let's, let's, say, let's say there is a list. I don't know where it is, but let's say there's a list of 100 things. Do I have to do 100%? Do I have to do 75%? 60 is a passing grade. I just have to get 60%. Where is that list? Now, if I tell my boys to be good... I saw John this week. 
on the NYC. He had a, he had a, a page listed of behavioral expectations. Okay, now, now, now he expects them to be good, and so he gave them what good means. It would be really weird of John to say, now each of you be good, but he doesn't tell them that good means they got to be in their room by 10 o'clock or whatever it means. And he gets all mad at them for not being in their room by 10 o'clock. And they say, well, we didn't know he had to be in the room. You didn't tell us he had to be in the room. You didn't tell us that was part of being good. But John did what any good adult would do in that situation. He gave them a list. This is what the behavioral expectations are. So I want my boys to be good, but I don't ever tell them what good is. You wouldn't call me a good dad. But we think that God is good. He doesn't tell us what good is. He gives us no list on where we have to grade ourselves to be good enough, yet we think he's a good God. You wouldn't call me a good parent if I told Levi to be good, if I told Christopher to be good, but never gave him a list. He's on his own. One great, maybe the biggest problem with good enough theologians is I just I don't know what it means to be good. Romans chapter 3, Paul hits this in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. Let me use the Atherton paraphrase. This would not be a good translation. I'm a paraphrase. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by being good enough. Rather, through all those good things we're supposed to do that the Bible calls us to do, look at that. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. It's through the law that we learn that we're transgressors. It's through those good things that the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do that we realize we don't do those and I need a Savior. Now that, that blows some people away to realize that a purpose of the law was to show you that you can't obey it. That blows some people away. That blows a lot of church. I, I would imagine someone under the sound of my voice right now has, has never entered that, you've never entertained that thought. The Bible plainly says, through the law, we become conscious that we fall short of the law. And then he says in Romans, Paul, the next chapter, Paul says in 4.15 of Romans, Paul says, the, the law brings wrath. Well, we know that. There, there, there's no wrath in the Atherton home unless there, was a, there, unless there was a law for them to obey and they don't obey it. If there's no law and everything goes, there's no wrath in the Atherton home. But the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there's no transgression. If, if, if you've got a lot of rules for your kids... You know, what, you know what a lot of rules does? It means there's a lot of, there's a lot of rules that are broken. That's all it means. The more, more rules is there are more rules that are broken. Because transgression comes through the law. I'm not saying rules are bad. But I'm just saying the more rules you have, the more transgressions are you going to have. And, Jesus, and, and God says that's one of the reasons that there is a law is so you would know why I sent Jesus. Romans 5.20 says the exact same thing. Romans 5.20 says, listen, the law was brought in so that trespass might increase. <laughs> I thought the law was there so we would be good little boys and girls. 
Well, to a certain extent, once you're saved, you understand what God desires for you. But before you're saved, the purpose of the law is that trespass might increase. And that you would know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The law brings you to Jesus. Well, I'm one of them Ten Commandments type of Christians. Well, good luck with you on that. (laughs) But the good news comes, but where sin increased because of the law, grace increased all the more. Grace increased all the more. And then Paul writes in, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, all who rely on the works of the law, all who rely on being good enough, are under a curse, as it is written in the Old Testament. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You're cursed. If, if, if you are a good enough theologian, which means you try to follow the law and to be your road to heaven is by following the law. The Bible says you're cursed because you can't do it. Because you can't do it. I mean, you've got a, got a lot of problems with, with good people theology. Another problem with good people theology is the Bible says, uh, the Bible says uh, we're not good. Right? Define good. I don't know how you define good. Yeah, I'm probably good if you compare me to somebody else. Uh, you know. But what's good mean? There's no definition to good. I mean, what is that? Paul writes in Romans 3.10, says there is n- no, no one that is righteous. There is no one that is good enough. Not even one. Not even one. And so two ch- uh, 13 verses later, he said, listen, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't make any difference if you sinned a little bit or if you sinned a lot or sinned a mountain load. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so then he comes to a conclusion in, in Romans 6, unless you know, if you agree with me that all have sinned, let me tell you then that the wages of that sin is death. That the wages of that sin is death. B- Bible says there's. Um, Bible says that people aren't good, especially in the way if we would define good enough. We would define good enough. Friends, if you're a good enough theologian, if you have family or friends that are good enough theologian, friends, they just you just have to drop it. You just have to drop it. Because you know what good enough theologians, you know what that is? That's self-righteousness. I'm trying to talk to you about how you think about the gospel. And you have to think a certain way. There are things you have to understand. You don't have to be an Einstein. You don't have to be a theologian. But you've got to understand some things. It's, it's, there's some things that you've got to grab with your mind. And one of the things is that... You, there's no such thing as a good enough theology. Can I also tell you that Jesus taught that, that uh, good people don't go to heaven? He, he, he flat out taught it. He, he, he looked at, he looked at the, the best people of the day in first century Jerusalem. 
Now, the word Pharisee has a bad connotation for us because we've, we've heard the teachings about the Pharisee for all of our life. We've heard about Pharisaical uh, hypocrisy and all of that because we've heard that preached and we've heard that taught and we've read about it in the Bible. But in first century Jerusalem, they were the number one do-gooders of the day, and that would have been a positive thing. They were the people who were close to God. They were the people who tried to obey the Bible. If you wanted to find somebody that was serious about their religion, you looked at the Pharisees and you looked at the Sadducees. And Jesus has the audacity to come up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus has the audacity to say, unless you're better than one of these guys, you ain't going to make it. We, now, that doesn't shock us. But in first century Jerusalem, that would have floored those people because they were the best. And in and, and other places, they even respond, well, if they can't make it, then what, help, what hope is there for us? Jesus says, good enough is not good enough. And he uses the best people of the day. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses that, as the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's like saying... That's like saying, um, uh, uh, you, got, you, got, you got this college basketball player here, and he wants to be a pro. And that's like saying, unless you're better than LeBron James, you will never make it to the pros. That's a pretty good analogy. Unless you're better than Michael Jordan, you're not going to make it to the NBA. Now, that, that's, that's been be a pretty, pretty close analogy to what Jesus said in a spiritual example to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. He says this in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, also to those same people that were really zealous about doing good works, for I testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since the, listen, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to be good enough and sought to establish their own righteousness. They would not submit themselves to the righteousness of God, and they sought to establish their own righteousness. They would not submit to the righteousness that God was going to give them through Jesus Christ, and they tried to be good enough. Comma, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse, if you've been around church any while, you, you know Isaiah 64, 6 says, says that all of us become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. Now I say this every time and some of you know what I'm going to say. The prophets were graphic people. Isaiah was a graphic person. We clean it up and make him a little more sophisticated. But the, the, the Hebrew word that he used there literally is menstrual rags. Your, your self-righteousness are like the rags of a woman's monthly uncleanness. Uh, the prophets just, just laid it out there. That's what Isaiah thought of our own self-righteousness, our own acts to try to be good. Not just to try to be good, 
not just to try to be, uh, not trying to be a serious Christian or trying to be a good Christian, however you define that, but the deal is trying to be good enough. You can't be good enough. There's, there's, there's nothing wrong with a, with a person, obviously, that's a Christian and then sees what God asks of him and, and by God's grace tries to live that way. That's, that's biblical Christianity. But that's, it's not an attempt to be good enough. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Galatians 2.21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing paraphrase that is I do not set aside the grace of God for if I could be righteous by being good enough then why in the world did Jesus die why in the world did Jesus come to die if I can be good enough why don't just God you know we talk about God's grace and God's grace empowers us why don't God just give me the grace to be good enough if he could do that why in the world would he go through the agony of sin in his son. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being good. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of good things about being good. There's a whole lot wrong with trying to be good enough. Jesus, Jesus said that bad people can go to heaven. And I just don't say that provocatively. That doesn't mean we should go out and try to be a bad person. I, you, know, you know that. But Jesus said bad people can go to heaven. In other words, bad people who have been forgiven. People who have admitted their badness. Apostle Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Amen. And you know what, friends? And this is what a lot of you don't understand. And I, I'm not putting you down for that. Some of you just haven't been on the way long enough, or maybe some of you haven't been serious enough. I don't know. But the more serious you get about your Christian life, the closer you get to God, the more you see your distance from Him. Right, Harold? The more you're in need of grace. So when Paul says he was the chief of sinners, he wasn't just saying, well, I just go out and sin all the time, you know. No, he, he, the closer he got to Jesus, the, realized, the more he realized how much in debt he was to the grace of God. I heard Bill Hybels tell this story one time. They built a new auditorium in his church, and, and the, the final walkthrough with the construction folks, it was in the contract in the final walkthrough that the final walkthrough had to be done under natural light. It would just mean like normal lighting that was in the room, which means the people who paid for the building couldn't bring a big spotlight and shine it up in here and be able to see that that screw's not screwed in all the way up there. Because the closer you are to the light, the more you see imperfections. Are you with me on that? Why does the world, why does the world think that you can be good enough? Because they have no concept of the holiness of God. They have no concept of how holy he is and how far I fall from that. They're not close to the light. So in, in, in because they have no light on that, they just think they're good enough. But the closer you get to Jesus and the more you get to him and his light, the more you see your own imperfections. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm a chief of sinners. 
You know what I, my desire is for all you good sanctified Nazarenes? It's for you to understand you're the chief of sinners. I really do. You, you, you good Nazarenes. You, you good Nazarenes are called to be holy as God is holy. I, I hope you understand that you're the chief of sinners because that means you're really close to God. Now, listen, unless you've been on the way a little bit, you don't understand what I just said. So don't discount it. Just give it time. You'll understand that. You remember, you remember when Jesus was on the cross? You remember that story? Remember we're talking about Jesus said that bad people can go to heaven? You, you, you remember Jesus being on the cross and he had the two criminals on each side of him in Luke chapter 23. says the criminals on both sides. And one, one of the criminals says, aren't you the Messiah? Save us and yourself. But the other criminal on the other side rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? We're under the same sentence. And then verse 41 said, this same guy over here says, we are being punished for what we did. We're, we're getting what we got common. We're, we're being punished justly for what our deeds deserve. But this guy in the middle, he's done nothing wrong. And then Jesus said words that just must have absolutely floored people in the first century. There, we, we've heard this story, so we just hear it and like we've heard it. It must have floored them in the first century when he turned to this guy and basically says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus says bad people can go to heaven. I wonder what it was like when that criminal got to heaven. I don't know what it's going to be like when you get to heaven. You know, people talk about Peter being at the gate. I don't know who knows what it's going to be like. I don't have any idea what it's going to be like. But let's just say that this, this, this criminal got to heaven and somebody says, well, what are you doing here? He goes, I don't know. I just... <laughs> we got any papers or anything? No, I don't have any, I don't, I don't have any papers. Well, have you, have you, have you, did you pass the entrance requirement? Well, I don't even know what the requirements are. Well, how do you have the audacity to stand before me and think you can come into heaven? And he goes, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Somebody comes up to you one day and asks you if you're going to heaven. And you respond to yes, and then they say why. You know what your only answer is? Because I believe that God sent his only son for me, and I believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross, and I trust him. That's your only answer. I hope you don't say anything about, well, I went to the Nazarene church. <laughs> That'll damn you to hell, friends. <laughs> well, I heard Mark Atherton preach. So What? man on the middle cross said I could come. Praise God. Now that's good news. It's not good news for me to tell you, go out and try to be good. Grit your teeth and try to be a little better today than you were yesterday. That's not good news. But the guy on the middle cross said I could come. That's good news. Well, I'll close with this. 
we've, we've talked about how the advantage of the good people theology is that, that uh, it's fair. And fair is a good thing, I guess. I mean, we, we like fair, fairness. Your kids want you to be fair, you know, right? <laughs> but do you really want God to be fair with you? Think that through. Do you want God to be just with you? Do you want God to give you what you got coming? If you do, you have no clue of a right thinking about yourself. You don't want God to be fair with you. You want God to be gracious with you. You need mercy. You need pardon. And it's been provided through the person of Jesus Christ. That's about as good as I can preach the gospel. I don't think I'm preaching any better than that. And if if somebody told me I want you to come to my church and just preach the unadulterated gospel, I'd just preach the message I just preached because I don't know of any better way to preach it. Those of you that have been in this church for a while have seen this video that I'm getting ready to show you. But I can't find a better video than this, so I'm going to show it again. It explains what I've just said in 2 minutes and 20 seconds, this video. And the visualness of this helps a lot of people. Can we show it, Amy? lying, some stealing, and some acts of kindness here and there. I tried to live a good life. The motto of a good enough theologian. I could have done more. Mm-hmm. And is this your subscription? I only read the article. Let's get this over with. 
Sorry, um, I didn't know he was with you. Okay, step on the scale. Not you. Him. Hey, wait a minute. That is totally not fair. That's why it's called grace. Now, I don't think there's going to be a good old meter in heaven. <laughs> but good enough theologians, they present their file, don't they? Don't they? I, the, the old man with gray hair said, I did the best I could. The problem is, you can't do good enough. <laughs> and so today... If you've got any good enough theology that's left in you, would you just leave it right here today? It will damn you to hell. There's only one that's been good enough. And you need to him to step on the scale for you. You're trusting in his goodness, not your own. Our servers are coming to the table. For us to receive communion this morning, you can be able to come, you can be able to come and pray around the altar, whatever you feel like you need to do in response to this. But I've told you this morning what you have to understand mentally. And the one thing I guess I didn't say that's part of it <laughs> is you need to repent and leave all that good enough stuff behind. just junk and accept the only one that's been good enough for you father I just pray that you would empower my words and I'm not a good enough preacher to make people understand the goodness of this gospel but could you open their hearts and minds to it and by a miracle of your grace may they understand we pray these things in Jesus name amen